This is a previously recorded episode. You're listening to the Innovates podcast featuring speaker and innovation expert Michael Mode. We bring you innovation on the 8s with new episodes posted every day that ends in 8, the 8th, 18th, and 28th of the month. The Innovates podcast is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. For more information about Michael Mode and his corporate speaking and consulting services, please visit innovates.com. That's I N N O V E I G H T S.com or biglightbulb.com. And now, get ready for another creative conversation with your host, Michael Mode. Welcome to the Innovates Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Mode, and uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. I'll be talking with Jeff Hobson, who's one of the most innovative entertainers performing out there today. Now, for the last four years, Jeff has been on tour with the hit show The Illusionists, and the show has been such a huge success worldwide that it was turned into a primetime TV special, which aired just a few days ago on NBC. Now, currently, Jeff is performing on Broadway in The Illusionist live on stage, and the show was on Broadway last year, but uh, they invited him back because they broke all kind of uh, box office records, and uh, they're going to entertain even more sold-out audiences. Now, not only is Jeff one of the funniest and most talented performers you will ever see, he's also one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. I'd like to welcome uh, to Innovate's Jeff Hobson. How are you doing, Jeff? Wow, who is that guy you gave an intro? I want to meet him. He <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll pay you later. Uh, all right. I, I'm doing fine, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for stopping by. You know, you're, uh, you're from the Detroit area here. You grew up in Detroit. When you were growing up and doing shows um, around here and entertaining people, did you ever think you'd be on Broadway? No. A matter of fact, uh, when I did hit Broadway for the first time last year, it really didn't hit me like like it really wasn't happening because it was never on my bucket list. I mean, right. as a magician, you know, you grew up with watching Siegfried and Roy in Vegas and everybody, you know, that sort of thing. You think Vegas is pretty much it. Then I spent 15 years, you know, on the strip of Vegas, and I thought, well, that's pretty much the culmination. What else can happen? And somebody said, well, you know, we, we'll probably do Broadway. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And it never really thought like, wow, Broadway. And then I get here. And you see the lights here in Times Square, and you're going, holy crap, I'm on Broadway. So <laughs> it was like a surprise last year, and now, now it's just like, yeah, you realize this is pretty much a, another pinnacle. I don't know where the hell to go from here. I mean, you know, wh- where do I perform? Uh, well, you just had... Now? <laughs> yeah, the, the suburbs, what do I do, you know? Well, you just had your NBC special. Congratulations on that. Thanks. And uh, Thank what's the reaction much. been uh, to that special? Well, you know, it started out as a uh, two-hour special, uh, but because of editing this, that, and the other thing that happens, uh, you know, I guess, you know, behind-the-scenes things that I might never know, it ends up being an hour, but it ends up being a really good, good hour. Uh, It was great. uh, Yeah, Matt Franco uh, did the first two hours, his special, which was a repeat, and then we did a third hour. So that was the first time in the history of television anywhere that three hours was on of magic in an evening on televised in a, in a world anywhere. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but our special actually got, you know, as far as reactions, I mean, it, it, got, it got a really good. And I think we were third overall for the entire time slot for the country, but uh, which means we had, I don't know, about 4 million viewers, I think. Wow, that's great. Now, that opening segment when you were walking down the hallway, and uh, it was all one continuous shot where you were inter- introducing everybody, and just that was just outstanding. Yeah. 
Well, it, it was one of those things where the idea came and said, hey, we want to do this sort of like Birdman style, where it's one mm-hmm. shot and it continuously goes. You introduce the whole thing. I said, well, it sounds good in theory. Uh, <laughs> what happened was, I'll try to make it as brief as I can, but it, we had shoved three days' worth of shooting in Los Angeles at the Orphan Theater into about 18 hours. Wow. Um, it started early in the morning, costumes, rehearsals, dry runs, segments. Uh, we did segments out of order, uh, which is a whole other story. Uh, and then we did an afternoon suit, some more rehearsals, then an evening televised show. And now, so this whole day goes by, it gets to be about 11.15, 11.30 in the evening. I'm totally just wiped out. And now that's when we all start the taping of this three-minute segment, which took us about six hours. I was the last guy finished at 5.45 in the morning. I exit the theater, and it's light out, which is weird because (laughs) it's the next day. Um, But, yeah, so it took about six hours to shoot three minutes, uh, but it looked like a million dollars. It was was fantastic. Yeah, it looked really great. Congratulations. That was, uh, you just knocked it out of the park with that. Yeah, it, it, I was very pleased. I was a little bit nervous, but I had a couple people go, "Oh, you're a pro. You're going through." Because I'm, I was doing, <laughs> I was the most nervous. But uh, I guess my energy was such I, I wasn't the one making the mistakes. Everybody else was. So I felt pretty good about that. So yeah. Now you're back on Broadway, and uh, how are Broadway audiences compared to audiences around the world? Uh, they're very uh, selective because uh, Broadway has, you know for 100 years, you know, been the spotlight of the best entertainment in the world, um, and every show has come through there, and they're very picky audiences. Most New Yorkers will sit with their, you know, with, with just sort of staring and saying, hey, entertain me. With sure, sort they've of seen it. they think they've seen it all, right? Well, and they have seen it all. That's the point. I don't mind the attitude because they have seen it all. And it's really hard to, to, to break uh, down the, the wall and crack through on the first time. And I almost have to, and I excuse the expression, I have to come out and bitch slap them. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, they're just sort of sitting there. And, I, I, and, and there was a line that I wrote for the show that the producer didn't want me to put in, but actually between you and me right now, I, I, it's in, and I kept it in, because there's no other line that's better. And after the first illusion... That that's great. There's you know everybody is uh, gets produced in the, in the show, and then we do an impaled illusion. You know where you know the illusion where uh, there's a big spike, and then uh, the illusionist gets set on top. Actually, this is James Moore, and then he spins and it's in his back, and then he falls on it, which basically skewers him <laughs> and makes everyone in the in the in the theater scream. And then they lift him back off, and then he walks forward and he's restored. Well, you know, after that, you'd figure people are going to go, wow, that's great, and a big ovation. Well, people are sort of like clapping, you know, politely. Right. And I actually chastise them. I say, people, you have just seen a guy die on stage and resurrect himself, and you people are looking like you're watching an episode of The Voice. <laughs> and so that's, that's sort of it really got people out of their you yeah. know, norms and stepping a little bit out of the box, and it starts to show out on a good note. So I've, yeah. I've been doing that. Well, Don't that, tell the producer. I won't tell him. Now, that brings up an interesting point, though, because, uh, you know, I perform as well, and, and you've performed in the corporate audience and all over the world. 
over the years, you know, I remember when you were working in Vegas, you were headlining there, and you said the audiences started to become more Asian, and and the English wasn't uh, the first language of the audience a lot of times. You had to adapt. You know, you had to change right. things. But do you absolutely? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, and I was going to say that what what happens is because entertainment is viewed differently all around the world. You know, in in Asia, in most parts of Asia, uh, you know, Asians will watch entertainment, especially specifically magic, and they will try and figure it out. And matter of fact, the entertainment to them is is discussing while the show is going on, while the trick is being performed, the illusion is being performed, they need to, um, uh, you know, make it feel better about themselves by agreeing that, oh, yes, this is the way it's done. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then that's, that's their way of feeling that it's entertainment to them by figuring it out. So either that or they just totally fall asleep during the show because they've been up for the previous 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Yeah, so the different cultures view magic and view entertainment differently. And since our world has become more global, um, yeah, you have to adapt a lot of your what you do now and figure that maybe half your audience doesn't quite understand you verbally and you have to put across your magic so they understand it in a visual manner. Right. I, I know where you're coming from, where you say the uh, the audiences in Asia are different. And um, it, they do. They perceive magic differently. I remember performing in China, and there were people that would get out of their seats and walk right up to the stage and just kind of stare and look under a prop or look at something differently. <laughs> yes. And it, it was like we were in their living room, and they just had full reign of wherever they wanted to go. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, because that's part of their job is to figure it out. Right, See, right. Our job, in our perception, we <laughs> use it as entertainment. Let's experience the wonder and let people allow themselves to go, wow, how is that done? Well, that's just not how it works with part of the world. Right. Now, another uh, uh, kind of an innovation or another uh, way of just adapting to technology and modern audiences that are used to, used to watching things on screen, um, on the illusionist stage above you is a big LED wall. And people, yeah. you know, a lot of the show, people watch on there, right? Yeah, you know, and that's another thing. I, I sort of disagree partially with the producer, but he's the producer. I won't you know, tell he, him. He wants the whole show projected on this high-def screen above uh, the audience, above the, 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 where we're performing, exactly above where we're performing on the stage. And, of course, everyone can watch it. And I, while I do agree a lot of magic is becoming micro-magic, you know, the, when a stage show, you know, many years ago, you wouldn't dare perform something that's a close-up trick on stage. Now, because of the technology that we have, you know, an audience of thousands can see every little, you can see the dirt underneath your fingernail because the camera's catching it and projecting it above you. I think, though, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword because you get people just sort of gazing up toward the screen like they would as if they're watching television at home, and they miss that live interaction. Right, and that might be why they're um, conditioned to not react when someone well, yeah, impales that's actually right? even part of it. I, mm -hmm. I, in fact, that's exactly right. Uh, and they just think, you know, they're just kind of, they feel like they've got a remote in their hand and, and, and popcorn in the other, and they don't need to react to a live person. And so I recommended that we turn it off from time to time to let people readjust and remind them, hey, these are live people on stage. 
Um, unfortunately, that that doesn't quite work that way. But that's if you know, if I were king, things would be a little different. But I, hey, I, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful show. I don't, uh, you know, everyone's got their own opinions, and uh, the producer I can't argue with him because you know he's got a successful show. He knows how what, what he's doing, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. Right, and it's a big success. I've seen it a few times live, and uh, it was just it was a show that it, I was proud to uh, be in the audience and watch you and other. friends friends on stage, but also to bring other people to it. And uh, it's just outstanding. And I, I didn't think the screen was distracting. I found myself watching it a lot of time, but... Uh, I, well, I good. Well, good. actually, though, you know, you're a little bit ahead of the thing because you understand theater and you can watch it sort of like with two different hats on where I think the, the average Joe would just, you know, and I've seen them. They're just sort of engrossed. They sort of sit back, lean their head back against the back of the seat and, and look up. So, right. um, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? Uh, hey, you can't argue with success. We're we're doing well on our numbers uh, this year, and uh, I think we're I don't know we're making somewhere in the area of grossing eight hundred grand a week or something like that. Wow! And, gee, I wish that was my number, but that's not bad for you know a lot of shows. That's there. great. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your character because you have so many different characters. You're and when I said you're one of the most innovative performers out there, I really I really think that because you've got multiple characters that you perform on stage, and and you're not just a magician; you're an actor. And, uh, you know, there's the old quote of a magician is an actor playing the part of a magician. And I think that that's you. You know, you are uh, – how do you come up with these different characters and, and what inspires you to create new material? Well, you know, I, it's a little bit of a dichotomy. I think that's the right word uh, since I'm not being the big word. But I think it's right in saying that it's that because uh, even though I'm a magician, funny enough, I don't like most magic. Um, in that I think magicians are using methods that are, you know, a bit outdated, and so thus a lot of magic really doesn't fool people, given if they think about it for 30 seconds or a minute, they just sort of default to, oh, it must be done that way, and they're probably right. And so at, at quite a young age, I always re- re- realized that, you know, magic is great and it's wonderful, but it has to have an accompanying presentation that is much better than the magic, thus which is why that quote of Robert Houdin's is correct. Uh, we have to act different parts. And so I tried to make the comedy, which I was always a class clown, and the magic um, together as one at a very young age. I knew that was, that was what to do, because if people didn't like the magic or cared about the magic, they would love to laugh, and vice versa. So I always wanted to have comedy and magic be very strong, and throughout the years I realized that I really like uh, character acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch the likes of, you know, all these old comedians, Danny Kaye and Red Skelton, and, and they would always play different parts. And it was always interesting to see um, a person get into a different character and show their acting skills. So I guess yes, what you, you are correct. Uh, I am. I am an actor. I think first and foremost, and I try and put across maybe different accents, different uh, uh, different modalities in my show that shows off acting skills, because I think uh, as a performer, even if you're a magician, you should show up as many other talents as you can in your performance, right. if it's possible, to show sort of a variety entertainer, you know, to, to mm-hmm. make people, to make sure that people aren't bored, I suppose. Right. Now, you, uh, we touched upon earlier, you performed in Vegas, you've headlined in Atlantic City and, and uh, Las Vegas, and, uh, and then you, uh, when kind of everything fell apart in the economy a few years ago, you started performing on cruise ships again. 
And uh, that was one of the things you were doing. And that led to a really great opportunity for you, um, the creation of a, an entire show, an experience for Norwegian Cruise Lines. Can you talk a little bit about right. that? Sure. Um, I, as I did work for Norwegian Cruise Line uh, in their new ship called the Epic when it was launched uh, on the maiden voyage, and, and I sort of had carte blanche to work as much as I wanted to. I was their main attraction feature performer for a few years. And over that time, I had um, uh, Richard Kilman, who was the uh, vice president of entertainment development, knew me from years ago, and then he knew that I, he, he actually hired me to be on the ship, and then um, he just came to me and said, hey, we, we're thinking about doing a magic-only sort of show, you know, like a big deal, like a custom show. Mm-hmm. Uh, would, you be, would you care to pitch an idea for it? Um, Sam, I said, yeah, sure. So it's funny because uh, I am creative, but I almost have to be kick-started to be creative. And this sort of like kick-started me, and I just went boom. And within about 24 hours to 48 hours, I had a script, an outline script that I sent to him. And immediately they said, yeah, let's pitch this. Uh, this is great. And so uh, as I went into a big meeting with all the CEOs and you know CFOs, et cetera, I got about maybe halfway through the pitch, and, and the CEO stopped me and said, this is, this is enough, this is great, we want to do this, just that's it. And I went, <laughs> and of course, I put like a few months into, you know, formulating the pitch, and I never got a chance to do it, and I was sort of, I was sort of disappointed. I'm like, really, you don't want to see the rest of the pitch? <laughs> you had practiced it, you wanted to perform it. Yeah. And so it was. It was fine, and it was uh, about a four million dollar project where they renovated a, a space originally uh, set off for a circus, but they uh, didn't want to do another circus theme show like they had previously, and so it became a magic event. And I thought, how? What? A, what would be a very cool magic event that would be immersive, to where people can feel that they're part of it, they're surrounded by magic, if there's a theme to it, uh, and they have a dinner and a show all together. Um, uh, an experience like no other, and thus came the Illusionarium, and uh, I, we're, I'm very proud of it. Still running today, and uh, yeah, and it was it's the number one rated show in the entire Norwegian Cruise Line fleet. Wow! Congratulations. You, do Thanks. you write out all of your ideas when you're working on something new? I know we've worked together you know, on some projects, and we've sent documents back and forth. And do you find that to be the best way to to work on ideas? You know, I tell you, I am, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to this because uh, I have, I'm very scattered um, when it comes to ideas. Uh, it's one of those things where I will, I'm thinking about an idea. Sometimes it will take a year. Sometimes it'll take a minute. Uh, it's a weird, like it's a weird thing. But, but like sometimes I'll sit down and things will just flow. I go, oh wait a minute, that leads to this. This leads to that. And I sort of type them down. I have a little note. In fact, we talked about a couple note apps that I always keep on yeah. my phone or on my. You use Evernote. And I, Evernote is one of them, right? Yeah, Evernote is is, is exactly what I use. And the creator and, of Evernote is actually a magician. He started in magic. Right, exactly, exactly. He may know something about us weird magicians and how we take notes. <laughs> uh, Being scattered and all over the place. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things where uh, you have to keep these little ideas that go through your head and immediately write them down or else I lose them and, and it's gone forever. Right. And then sometimes you get these little muddled notes and you realize after a few weeks, a month or a year, and you go back and you go, you know what, this is like a whole idea now after I've donated a dozen or two dozen little ideas. To right. It. 
Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and then sometimes things will come to me in a moment and the whole thing floods out. Other times it takes quite a while. Yeah, it's uh, it's important to write those ideas down, though, I think, because I've come up with ideas like you, and then you, you say, I'm going to remember this one. Boy, I won't forget this. And then <laughs> you wake up the next morning, and it's, uh, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. So I find myself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I find myself middle of the night taking notes on my iPhone or an Evernote or, or something like that, just so I remember. And uh, that's yeah. the best way to do it. Uh, well, we're almost out of time here, but we, I was talking with some friends the other day about performing in uh, in all different kinds of situations and kind of horror stories of what's the worst place you've performed in and this and that. And I always say, you know, what would Hobson do? How would he perform in this situation? Because you've performed in literally every kind of situation, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, really, and then some. Yeah, I've done shows in places that even you should never have a show at. Can you tell the story real quick about the Fish Fly Festival? Because that is my favorite. It was the Fish you know Fly what? Festival. <laughs> you, you, Michael, have a better memory than me. You remember all these stories that I've forgotten. Because I think How I can you forget that story, head. Jeff? Tell, tell, tell me the story, and then I will probably remember as you're telling it. Go well, you got, you got there, and there are all these people lined up on the shore of uh, Lake St. Clair. And they said, okay, get on the boat. We're going to take you to your stage. Oh, no, no, this wasn't the Fish Fly Festival. This was the St. Joseph's Festival. Oh, okay, St. Joseph. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, this, this is, okay, that's the one. I, I know now I know what you're talking about. And this yeah, is sure. back to when you were I'm doing open. a Dove Act and everything you were producing. Sure, yeah, sure. So, yeah, yeah so well, tell no the story. One, this yeah. is great. No one told me what the conditions were, and, of course, that was my bad for not asking. I'm, I'm, I'm the opening act for This Gary was a long Puckett time ago, long, long time yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, this is opening act for Gary Puckett and Union Gap, which, if you don't know who that is, that means you're under 40 years old, which is fine. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I get to this place, and the guy says, well, okay, there's going to be 15,000 people on the bank of the of Lake Michigan, you know, or uh, whatever lake it was. I'm not sure what's over at St. Joseph. I'm so bad at that, but I think it's Lake Michigan. But it, and so they said, yeah, we have to take you to a barge <laughs> is where you're going to actually perform it. And I said, I'm sorry? They go, yeah, you got to hop in this boat, take your equipment, go over to this barge, which is 300 yards away from the embankment, and you're going to perform there. And I said, I don't understand. I go, you've got to be kidding me. And so I take everything, go over there, set up the whole thing, and now, of course, I'm doing tricks. With, and, there, of course, at that time, there's no eye magnification or anything, so no one can see anything right. I'm doing. Uh, even if I had illusions, people would have to swim right. in binoculars. So I'm doing, I'm looking at, <laughs> looking at my assistant. I'm going through all my does and my tricks. I'm going, you know, no one knows anything that's happening here. And I finally get to start talking and then I don't realize that there is a vast echo. So I say, hello, ladies and gentlemen. And then I hear, oh, like, you know, like this, it's coming back at me, like, but it takes five seconds for the echo to go there and back. <laughs> and I'm realizing now that I'm telling jokes, I have to now wait to continue my speech until the five seconds goes by. They hear the joke, they react, and then I can continue because it throws me off all the hell. That's great. So... It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had, but <laughs> I, I certainly learned after that to uh, 
to ask what my performing conditions are in before I go. Right. And if there's anyone that could have pulled that off, it's you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it ends up being okay. Let's put it that way. It's experiences like that that got you to the NBC special and on Broadway now. So <laughs> I it all comes together. <laughs> but I don't want any more of those experiences. Right. <laughs> well, I'll have you back on. We'll tell the other story about uh, you getting locked in the hallway before your show and stuff like that because there's some other good ones. But uh, There's too many of those good ones. Oh, okay. yeah, they're great. I'm looking great. forward to it, Michael. Thank they're great. So well, hey, thanks a lot, Jeff, uh, for uh, calling in, and uh, good luck tonight. You're on Broadway. And what's your website if people want to check it out? Sure, www.jeffhobson.com. Jeffhobson.com. It shows my where I'm going to be crossing the United States in the next uh, three three months, and you can come and see me in the Illusionist. Great, yeah, go see the Illusionist live on uh, on tour. They're going to be all over, and it's it's a wonderful show. So get some tickets, take your friends. It sells out. And uh, thanks again, Jeff. All right. Take care, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good. And thank you again for listening to uh, the Innovates podcast. We're going to have another creative conversation on every day that ends in eight. And uh, until then, stay curious. Thanks for listening to the Innovates podcast featuring speaker and innovation expert Michael Mode. Make sure to check back on the 8th. We will post new episodes of Innovates on the 8th, 18th, and 28th of the month. The Innovates podcast is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. For more information about Michael Mode and his corporate speaking and consulting services, please visit Innovates.com. That's I-N-N-O-V-E-I-G-H-T-S.com or BigLightBulb.com. This is a previously recorded episode.